0: Listen, listen again, tune your being to the song of streams. Close beside a fir tree, three sheep are grazing. Stand by the tree and think yourself into it. Touch it with the tips of your fingers, lay the palms of your hands on its rough bark and feel the tremor of its fibres. Stretch up your spirit towards its topmost branches, following each changing urge of growth. Sense its growth, for growth is immortality. We are all but cells, forming and reforming in the elemental tissue. Momentary manifestations, glimpses in the microscopes of God. What does the chlorophyll cell in the blade of grass know of biology? Just as much, perhaps, as we do of eternity.
1: I Am What I Would Be A documentary in celebration of trees. This program features the writings of John Stuart Collis, John Fowles, Robert Gibbings, Seamus Heaney, Herman Hesse, Antoine de Saint-Exupery, Henry David Thoreau, William Wordsworth, and the voices of Seamus Heaney, Thomas Pakenham, and John Quinn. I am what I would be.
2: we enter the wood we leave behind the world that is too much with us it has wholly gone we tread the silent glades in silence here is the reign of peace here the mind is suddenly purified see that noble old oak there is a place for meditation beneath those shady boughs in the stillness of that room shall we not come to truth Could we sit long enough, we feel, in this unsurpassed calm and balk the screaming duties that are not real within these gates and flaunt the clock we call time? Then we too would be enlightened.
3: Sweeney was a king in uh, what is now County Antrim. And he had a quarrel with a local saint, St. Ronan. And Ronan uh, cursed him and said that at the Battle of Moira uh, he would be turned into a a feathered creature and live as an outcast for the rest of his life. All came true when the battle uh, arrived. Sweeney was uh, levitated into a kind of madness and dwelt on the outskirts of human society ever afterwards on the mountains, and especially in the trees. He's very associated with the trees. And at one point in the story, Sweeney is crouched up in um, the top of an ivy bunch in in a tree somewhere in his own native uh, land in in the north, and he hears a hunt going past, and he thinks how lucky he is not to be among the kind of uh, violent, malign Uh, instincts of human society but to be sitting up in, in the mild atmosphere of trees and vegetation and he speaks this poem in praise of all the trees the bushy leafy oak tree is highest in the wood the forking shoots of hazel hide sweet hazelnuts the alder is my darling all thornless in the gap some milk of human kindness coursing in its sap the blackthorn is a jaggy creel, stippled with dark sloughs. Green watercress is thatch on wells, where the drinking blackbird goes. Sweetest of the leafy stalks, the vetches strew the pathway. The oyster grass is my delight, and the wild strawberry. Low-set clumps of apple trees drum down fruit when shaken. Scarlet berries clot like blood on mountain round. Briars curl in sideways, arch a stickle back, draw blood and curl up innocent to sneak the next attack. The yew tree in each churchyard wraps night in its dark hood. Ivy is a shadowy genius of the wood. Holly rears its windbreak, a door in winter's face. Lifeblood on a spear shaft darkens the grain of ash. Birch tree, smooth and blessed delicious to the breeze high twigs plait and crown it the queen of trees the aspen pales and whispers hesitates a thousand frightened Scots race in its leaves but what disturbs me most in the leafy wood is the to and fro and to and fro of an oak rod
2: mankind dominates the world today It is certain that trees once did so. It is not possible for us even to imagine the immense forests that existed at the dawn of history, when clearings were but tiny islands in the Atlantic stretches of wood. In the first century, the Hercinian forest stretched eastward from the Rhine farther than any man knew. Men, questioned by Caesar, had travelled for two months without reaching the end. I like to think how the weald of Kent, Surrey and Sussex are remnants of the great forest that once clothed the whole of the south-eastern portion of the island, joining another, older than the chase or farther of it, from Hampshire to Devon, and how in the reign of Henry II the citizens of London hunted the wild boar and bull in the woods of Hampstead.
4: It is not for nothing that the ancestors of the modern novel that began to appear in the early Middle Ages so frequently had the forest for setting and the quest for central theme. Never mind that the actual forest often is a monotonous thing. The metaphorical forest is a stage of constant suspense, awaiting actors, heroes, maidens, dragons, mysterious castles at every step. We have simply transferred the tree setting to the now more familiar brick and concrete forest of town and city. Older and less planned quarters of cities and towns are profoundly woodlike, like And especially in this matter of the mode of their passage through us, the way they unreal, disorientate, open close, surprise, please... The stupidest mistake of all the many stupid mistakes of 20th century architecture has been to forget this ancient model in the more grandiose town planning. Geometric linear cities make a geometric linear people. Wood cities make human beings.
5: For me, trees have always been the most penetrating preachers. I revere them when they live in tribes and families, in forests and groves. And even more, I revere them when they stand alone. They are like lonely persons, not like hermits who have stolen away out of some weakness, but like great, solitary men like Beethoven and Nietzsche. In their highest boughs the world rustles. Their roots rest in infinity. But they do not lose themselves there. They struggle with all the force of their lives for one thing only. To fulfill themselves according to their own laws. To build up their own form. To represent themselves. Nothing is holier. Nothing is more exemplary than a beautiful, strong tree. Oh.
0: Thomas Pakenham introduces the great beech on his estate at Tollinally, County Westmead.
6: I think if you want to take part in the life of your trees emotionally, uh, it's not a bad thing to name them, to give them names. It may sound a bit fanciful, but we've called this tree King Lear, not the English uh, Shakespearean King Lear, L-E-A-R, but the Irish Lear, L-I-R, because here we are, just close to the shores of Loch Deravara in Westmeath, and this is where King Lear came, and the wicked stepmother of his children, Iphar, turned those children into swans. This was the lake Deravara, where the swans were, and King Lear built his palace. So we've called this tree uh, King Lear the same way. But here we are now, under its uh, under its canopy, under its great branches. It's got well as we walk round. You'll see it it, it was decapitated 200 years ago or so to make small wood, pollarded, and those uh, small branches which were producing a crop of small wood, as we still do with willow trees, on this tree they stopped doing it and let the branches grow roughly, probably 150, maybe more years ago. So it grew trunks from the pollard point, which is about 12 feet up, high enough, to be out of the reach of cattle. It grew new trunks and it's got, I think, four five, six great trunks which are arching up and then in an extraordinary way fusing together forming a second uh, junction and then arching away again so it, 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 it hardly looks like wood or an ordinary tree let's walk around the other side I know this tree well, it's an old friend, but I'm always seeing new things about it. Of course, in every, as the light changes, which it does every, almost every second, the light uh, uh, creates a completely new pattern of trunks. Uh, the seasons change. It's qu- quite different when it's in leaf to when it's in winter and out of leaf. And snow and frost make it a totally different experience to be here. And yet it's so full of life you can hardly believe it's, as old, every twig seems to be bursting with vitality. Every, every part of its great canopy is, is is full. There are no chinks in it, in its roof, so to speak. Uh, none of the slates are off, so to speak.
5: Trees are sanctuaries. Whoever knows how to speak to them, whoever knows how to listen to them, can learn the truth. They do not preach learning and precepts. They preach undeterred by particulars the ancient law of life. A tree says, a kernel is hidden in me, a spark, a thought. I am life from eternal life. The attempt and the risk that the eternal mother took with me is unique, unique the form and veins of my skin, unique the smallest play of leaves in my branches and the smallest scar on my bark. I was made to form and reveal the eternal in my smallest special detail.
3: Two of the great tree people, of course, are Mad Sweeney and Tarzan. And uh, when I think of myself as a youngster, I think of myself as an aspect of both Tarzan and Mad Sweeney. I used to climb a tree at the end of the lane, sit hidden up in the beach, is a beech tree. And uh, at one point, I remember very vividly, American troops uh, going along on the road, under the tree. This was during the uh, Second World War, the 1940s, early 1940s. They were obviously training, I know now, for... Uh, going to Normandy, but uh, when I look back on it as like an encounter between ar- archaic and modern or between uh, between the natural creature and the uh, the forces of civilization and Russiancommerce anyway the, this poem is called "In the Beach." I was a lookout posted and forgotten on one side under me, the concrete road. On the other, the bullock's covert, the breath and plaster of a drinking place, where the school-leaver discovered peace to touch himself in the reek of churned-up mud. And the tree itself a strangeness and a comfort, as much a column as a bowl. The very ivy puzzled its milk-tooth frills and tapers over the grain. Was it bark or masonry? I watched the red brick chimney rear its stamen course by course and the steeplejacks up there at their antics like flies against the mountain. I felt the tanks advance beginning at the sinusure of the growth rings then winced at their imperium refreshed in each powdered bolt mark on the concrete. And the pilot with his goggles back came in so low I could see the cockpit rivets my hidebound boundary tree, my tree of knowledge, my thick-tapped, soft-fledged, airy listening post.
2: Trees have been called collective beings, and truly we may think of each leaf as an individual plant with a separate stem joining it with the earth. This connecting link is at the same time a tax which each leaf pays to the whole. It is a tribute levied for its upkeep. Every new leaf on the great tree in the forest lowers down this cable, this silken thread, this fibre, this cord, until reaching beneath the surface of the earth it becomes a root and the sum of these connecting wires increases the girth of the tree every year. That is how every tree makes its trunk. Every leaf of every tree has sent down a tiny string, covering and clinging to the shoot beneath, and increasing its thickness. Singly, it may seem a slender offering, but not in its hardened multiplicity.
6: You could also think of it as engineering, which is quite different from architecture, of course. We think of, it, of, of these as a structure which is holding together an enormous weight, 30 tonnes of wood, and not merely holding, which is a, a negative thing, holding it together as a building holds its parts together, but actually pumping, it's an engine, pumping water up from the ground right to the top of the tree, and it's extraordinarily thought that, that this is a mechanism in motion. The movement is in the water in the form of sap coming up through all these tubes by capillary action out of the ground to the very top of the tree. So it's pumping water from uh, below ground level to about 80 feet up in, this, in, in the air. And if, in order to stay alive, every part of it, every single part of it, has to be covered with a fresh pelt of skin, that is of bark, um, almost microscopically thin on the uh, on the twigs and the outer part of the canopy. But it, it, it's much more extraordinary to think that are uh, in that 30 tons of weight, there are miles of small branches and twigs like cabling of a huge, complicated engineering structure. Every single one is being renewed every year. It doesn't have a maintenance program. Once every 20 years, like a building or a bridge. Every single year it has to renew itself with a new layer.
0: I stand beneath one of Ireland's most famous and most beautiful trees, the magnificent Copper Beach in Cool Park, County Galway. It's known as the Autograph Tree. Here in Cool Park, Lady Augusta Gregory played hostess to some of the greatest names in the literary and dramatic world at the turn of the 20th century. She asked her visitors to leave their autographs, by carving their initials on the bark of the Copper Beach and they did almost a century later their initials are still decipherable George Bernard Shaw John Masefield Augustus John Douglas Hyde William Robert Gregory William Butler Yeats Sean O'Casey John Millington Singh, Violet Martin, Ross, Jack P. Yates. The list goes on. But while I am in awe of that list, I am, if anything, even more in awe of this beautiful, beautiful tree. Standing in its shelter on this damp summer evening, I am overwhelmed by its majesty. Its great height dwarfs me to insignificance. Its graceful boughs sweep down symmetrically to brush the grass beneath. At this time of year, clothed in its copper mantle, it is breathtaking to gaze upon. It is the perfect tree.
4: Unlike white sharks, trees do not even possess the ability to defend themselves what arms they sometimes have like thorns are static and their size and immobility means they cannot hide they are the most defenseless of creation in regard to man their main evolutionary defense as with many social animals birds and fishes lies in their innumerability that is their capacity to reproduce in which for trees longevity plays a major part This afternoon, being on
7: Fairhaven Hill, I heard the sound of a saw, and soon after from the cliff saw two men sawing down a noble pine beneath, about forty rods off. I resolved to watch it till it fell, the last of a dozen or more which were left when the forest was cut and for fifteen years have waved in solitary majesty over the sprout land. I saw them like beavers or insects gnawing at the trunk of this noble tree, the diminutive mannequins with their cross-cut saw, which could scarcely span it. It towered up a hundred feet, as I afterward found by measurement, one of the tallest probably in the township, and straight as an arrow, but slanting a little toward the hillside, its top seen against the frozen river and the hills of Conantum. I watch closely to see when it begins to move. Still its branches wave in the wind, as if it were destined to stand for a century, and the wind sows through its needles as of yore. It is still a forest tree, the most majestic tree that waves over Muscatawquid. The silvery sheen of the sunlight is reflected from its needles. It still affords an inaccessible crotch for the squirrel's nest. Not a lichen has forsaken its mast-like stem, its raking mast. The hill is the hulk. Now, now is the moment. The mannequins at its base are fleeing from their crime. They have dropped the guilty saw and axe How slowly and majestically it starts As if it were only swayed by a summer breeze And would return without a sigh to its location in the air And now it fans the hillside with its fall And it lies down to its bed in the valley From which it is never to rise As softly as a feather Folding its green mantle about it like a warrior As if, tired from standing It embraced the earth with silent joy returning its elements to the dust again. But hark, there you only saw but did not hear. There now comes up a deafening crash to these rocks, advertising you that even trees do not die without a groan. It rushes to embrace the earth and mingle its elements with the dust. And now all is still once more, and forever both to eye and ear. When the fishhawk in the spring revisits the banks of the Muscatawquid, he will circle in vain to find his accustomed perch, and the henhawk will mourn for the pines lofty enough to protect her brood. A plant which it has taken two centuries to perfect, rising by slow stages into the heavens, had this afternoon ceased to exist.
0: The Great Oak of Portmore grew on the Portmore Estate on the shores of Loughnay in County Antrim. It was blown down in 1760, and a year later, at the break-up of the estate, the Great Oak was sold off for a vast sum of money. The sale came to represent the destruction of an era, and the song Bonny Portmore laments the passing of that era and of the Great Oak. (laughs)
8: Thank <laughs>
6: These eleven uh, great oaks with our great straight trunks are totally unlike the gnarled old beech, King Lear, we were looking at, and we actually we haven't got a name for this except the rather uh, uh, fanciful name of the the squire's walking stick. Mm. But I think now we're only ten uh, feet away. I think you begin to realise that this is an extraordinary tree when it didn't look extraordinary from just a uh, hundred feet away, and now we look up and you see what an enormous canopy of leaves it has, and the, the branch which is nearest the ground is 40 feet above it, so it's got this great column, like a stone column, rising 40 feet, and then the first branches, and then a great dome of, of more branches, ending with the flat top, and it's hundred nearly 110 feet high, which makes it the tallest oak so far known in the Republic. Is a saying about oak trees 300 years growing, 300 years living, 300 years dying. In other words, a total lifespan of 900 years and that's an old country saying. It's quite possible this tree 250 years old could live a further 650 years. In other words it's, it's only a, a just over a quarter of its life and it's full of, of vitality.
5: When we are stricken and cannot bear our lives any longer, then a tree has something to say to us. Be still. Be still. Look at me. Life is not easy. Life is not difficult. Those are childish thoughts. Let God speak within you, and your thoughts will grow silent. You are anxious because your path leads away from mother and home. But every step and every day lead you back again to the mother. Home is neither here nor there. Home is within you, or home is nowhere at all.
4: There is a you, the pride of Lorton's Vale, which to this day stands single in the midst of its own darkness as it stood of yore. A vast circumference and gloom profound, this solitary tree, a living thing produced too slowly ever to decay, a
6: form and aspect too magnificent to be destroyed. As Tennyson said about, uh, the, the, about the great yew tree, the clock that beats out the little lives of, of men, and we, they are sort of clocks ticking away from us. The very old ones can live ten times the span of a man. They can live to a 1,000 years or more. Nobody knows for certain how old the oldest yew in Ireland is, but it would be something over a 1,000 years. Some people would tell you it would be 2,000. The reason we don't know is because, obviously, they're not documents uh, for trees that were planted before the time of Christ. And uh, equally, uh, with a young tree, you can tell how old it is by either boring a hole in it with an auger and counting the core... A number of rings on the tree, one ring being each year's growth. Uh, or if the tree blows down, you could say afterwards how old it was because you can slice it up and count the rings on the slice. But with old yew trees, they're completely hollow. All the oldest trees are hollow and you can't therefore have any real idea how old they are.
4: I stopped to waken a sleeping Bedouin and he turned into the trunk of a black tree. A tree trunk. Here, in the desert. I was amazed, and bent over to lift a broken bough. It was solid marble. Straightening up, I looked around and saw more black marble. An antediluvian forest littered the ground with its broken treetops. How many thousand years ago... Under what hurricane of the time of Genesis had this cathedral of wood crumbled in this spot? Countless centuries had rolled these fragments of giant pillars at my feet, polished them like steel and petrified and vitrified them and imbued them with the colour of jet. I could distinguish the knots in their branches, the twistings of their once-living boughs could count the rings of life in them. This forest had rustled with birds and been filled with music that now was struck by doom and frozen into salt.
5: When a tree is cut down and reveals its naked death wound to the sun, one can read its whole history in the luminous inscribed disc of its trunk. And the rings of its years, its scars, all the struggle, all the suffering, all the sickness, all the happiness and prosperity stand truly written. The narrow years and the luxurious years, the attacks withstood, the storms endured.
6: People don't realise how trees carry their history about with them in a way nothing else does. You can cut up a man, but you don't know exactly how old he is. You can knock down a building. You don't read its age from looking at the stones. A tree gives you an exact number of years it's lived by looking at the section counting the rings, each ring representing one year of growth. But it does more than that. I mean, here in front of me, I've got a section of a beech, a very big, old, unusually tall beech tree, which blew down about four years ago, just behind me there on the terrace, and I cut up this section uh, from the stump. And you can count the rings, and it was planted in 1778. You can actually tell the year it was planted in 1778. So it's over 200 years old. I mean, look, I, I'm putting my finger now on the uh, the birth year, 1778, and, and uh, 20 years later, there was the 1798 rising. Just over here on the hill, there was rising of the local United Irish and they uh, you can actually see the ridge where they formed their camp over at Wilson's Hospital. But this tree would have been then just about 20 years old and it, so it was. in that sense it was a witness of those events. But it tells you more than that because you can see which uh, were the years of drought and which were the years of, of good rain when the rings are narrow if it was a dry year and broad if it was a wet year. And then you can see Uh, In this particular case, when it was about 200 years old, very old tree already, its neighbours began to blow down, the trees around it uh, blew down, so it had much more light. So the last uh, 15 years of its life, the rings are wider apart, and it it had plenty of light and and food, and finally it blew down here in in its uh, final storm Even the smallest
4: woods have their secrets and secret places, their unmarked precincts. And I'm certain all sacred buildings, from the greatest cathedral to the smallest chapel and in all religions, derive from the natural aura of certain
6: woodland or forest settings. We're coming down the garden path now in the actual Pleasure Ground. So on our left is this huge pyramid or cone of green. And from outside, you wouldn't really know what it was. I think you'd think it was uh, a lot of of trees of the same kind but actually this vast thing about uh, 350 feet round is one single tree which has formed layers, that is the branches have touched the ground and formed new trees. Now we're going in in a moment, there's a secret way in, no one would know you could get in from outside, I'll take you in and and I think you'll be fairly amazed what you see. Uh, incidentally, this is a Thuja placata, that's the botanical name, uh, which is the western red cedar that builders use, imported from America, and, of course, this is a, an imported tree in origin. And this particular specimen was planted about 1860. This is the way, you, you really wouldn't guess it, it's between a whole mass of, uh, of branches all tangled together, uh, and rather scratchy, but you'll see in a moment, ow! Oh.
0: unbelievable unbelievable we're in another world
6: (laughs) well i think maybe i mean a good novel takes you up into another world and a good tree takes you there and this this you wouldn't guess this existed from only a few feet away Uh, i think this is a magical place Uh, perhaps it's spiritual but it to describe it it's one single tree which had six trunks in fact uh, maybe more one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight original trunks, and then each of its branches, when it touched the ground, most of them formed roots and formed new trees. So, in other words, radially from the centre, they formed a second circle of young trees round the original tree, and the branch between the new tree and the original. Uh, withered away, a kind of umbilical cord gradually withered away. And you could see that here. And there are about ten new trees were formed in a circle around the original one. And then the new trees, the same process occurred. Their branches touched the ground, and they formed uh, new trees. So then you had about 30 new trees around the original one. And so, in fact, we've got now a kind of forest all growing around the original. Uh, but it's secret. You wouldn't guess it from outside. And it has a quality like the, perhaps you feel like being at the bottom of the sea or something. And the whole thing, this great cone, is about 80, 90 foot high and 300 feet in circumference.
5: Trees have long thoughts, long breathing and restful, just as they have longer lives than ours. They are wiser than we are, as long as we do not listen to them. But when we have learned how to listen to trees, then the brevity and the quickness and the childlike hastiness of our thoughts achieve an incomparable joy. Whoever has learned how to listen to trees no longer wants to be a tree. He wants to be nothing except what he is. That is home.
0: That is happiness. Then spake I to the tree, Were ye your own desire, what is it ye would be? Answered the tree to me, I am my own desire, I am what I would be.
1: In that program, Kevin Flood was the voice of John Stuart Collis. Peter Jankowski was the voice of Hermann Hesse. The words of John Fowles, William Wordsworth, and Antoine de Saint-Exupery were read by David Heap. And Daniel Reardon was the voice of Henry David Thoreau. The program also featured the voices of Seamus Heaney, Thomas Pakenham, and John Quinn. Trees was sung by John Charles Thomas and Bonnie Portmore was sung by Lorena McKennett. I Am What I Would Be, A Celebration of Trees was devised and produced by John Quinn.